Hello, everyone, and welcome to Film Etc., the only movie review podcast you need in life. My name is Mike Webb. I'll be your host. And this show is back up and running. It is 2022. I took a bit of a hiatus in the end of last year because I had some time and scheduling issues. But I am back, and I am fully confident in doing this podcast once again. If you guys are new to the show, I basically review the new releases of the week. And by the end of the show, I grade them on a number scale from 0 to 10. I usually do two reviews every week, but I'm also going to do something special at the end. But for the reviews this week, I'm reviewing The Worst Person in the World, which is a Norwegian film that's been getting a lot of hype around the movie community recently, as well as a new movie on HBO Max called The Fallout. And the very special thing that I'm going to have at the very end is my coverage of the Sundance Film Festival. Yes, I got to go to the Sundance Film Festival virtually again. Well, I've done it before, but... I'll tell you guys all my experience about that. But anyway, let's get started. I want to give you guys a little bit of a heads up just in case if you are new to the show or if you need a little bit of a refresher. But I myself, I am diagnosed with autism, so you may hear my wording feel a little bit out of place. So I hope you all forgive me. But other than that, please enjoy this week's episode. Thank you for listening. The Worst Person in the World is the fifth feature film from Norwegian filmmaker Joachim Trier, who's best known for directing the films Louder Than Bombs, starring Isabel Huppert and Jesse Eisenberg, and the psychological thriller Thelma. This is his third film on what it's called his Oslo trilogy, following his first two features, Reprise and Oslo, August 31st. The film is comprised of 12 chapters, including a prologue and an epilogue, where it chronicles four years in the life of Yuli, played by Renata Reinsva, a young woman who navigates the troubled waters of her love life and struggles to find her career path, leading her to take a realistic look at who she really is. The film also stars Andrew Zanielsen Lee and Herbert Nordrum. Now, to give you all a couple little factoids about this Renata Reinsva actually won the Best Actress Award at Cannes last year, and this is like her first big leading role as an act as an actress so far. It is also Norway's film entry for the Best International Feature Film at this year's Oscars. So if you've been hearing a lot of word of mouth recently, that's probably why. This movie is a mix of romantic comedy plus a little bit of quirk comedy, but also a coming of age movie at its center because the character of Yuli is about to hit her thirties, but still doesn't know what to do in life. We see early on that she, she's a medical student, but then decides to pursue a career in photography. She then falls in love with a comic book artist who's about 10 years older than her. So there's kind of a bit of an age gap. He's played by Andrew Danielson Lee, who's been in Trier's first two films I mentioned briefly, but is also, I first heard about him, uh, when he was in Paul Greengrass's 22 July from a few years ago, uh, which is about the Utoya summer camp massacre in Norway. He played uh, the terrorist in that movie. He's also in a movie I missed last year called Bergman Island, which also stars Vicky Krapes, Tim Roth, and Mia Wasikowska. But what I actually didn't know is that he's a medical doctor in real life. So that's kind of interesting. Anyway, the way this film goes, I don't want to give too much away, but there's one point in the film where she crashes a party and she meets a barista named Ivan, this is Herbert Nordrum's character. Andrew Zanson and Lee's character's name is Axel. But that whole party crashing scene is wildly funny throughout. Both Yuli and Ivan share intimacies while trying not to cheat because they're both in relationships with other people. And yet they do all sorts of weird oddball stuff. Like they both go into a bathroom and watch each other pee. And then they sniff each other's armpits. Like it's a strange sequence and yet I found it enjoyably funny to watch. The directing by Joachim Trier is incredible, and the writing by him and co-writer Eskavokt 
is smart and very witty while also balancing between what is real life and what is fantasy. Like there's one point in the movie where all of a sudden everything around Yuli is frozen in time and she just wanders around Oslo just trying to get to uh, the place where Ivan works. I mentioned this movie is divided into 12 chapters, including a prologue and an epilogue. And in the two hour runtime that it spans, it doesn't drag and it's very well paced. I also believe this is a movie that feels sort of relatable and it could be like a universal thing uh, in general. Like what I meant to say is that this movie can be universal to anyone who's ever been in a relationship. Like even like uh, the stuff that they do in the movie where if they like try to argue or something like that, it doesn't like uh, concern them in anger or whatnot. It, it just feels like, like natural and just like wants to like play it cool or whatnot. And once again, I said that this movie is relatable because I'm saying that it's kind of relatable to me because the way this movie is uh, treating the main character of Yuli, like I'm almost around that age in particular, like how I'm like trying to figure out what I want to do in life and where I want my life to go. And yet I, I kind of feel like scared, like in the same way that I feel for, Yuli in this sense because she is like nervous about trying to trying to like figure out like uh what's gonna happen to her in the future like is she gonna have kids which is like one of the questions that's that is laid sprinkled throughout uh this movie as well but yeah I I will say though there are some flaws but they're kind of like part flaws to like sequences that like like I kind of enjoyed watching. I should have mentioned this up front. This is an R-rated movie, so this is not for everyone. But uh, there's a couple sequences where there's like one scene where uh, Yuli is like uh, this, like uh, there's this like kind of like uh, this like hallucinogenic drug trip, and what it plays out is very odd. I will say, if. And yet at the same time, there are some things little like uh, how how should I put it? There's like little things sprinkled throughout that just feels like oddly satisfying to watch. And I don't know why, but, but uh, there's also one scene like like towards the end of the film, like I felt like like you kind of know where it's going. But then all of a sudden it just like doesn't play out as you want it to go. And that's what I really enjoyed about it. But yeah. It, again, it's not a movie for everyone, but if I were to uh, watch this movie again, I would probably like wait in for like another 10, 15, probably 20 years for it to watch it again and see how it kind of relates uh, to me back then to what I will be in the future. But anyway, guys, those are my thoughts on The Worst Person in the World. It is currently playing in, oh crap, I forgot to mention the performances. Renata Reinsva as Julie, she nails it. Andrew Danielson Lee as Axel, the comic book artist, is terrific as well. Herbert Nordrum is, uh, he plays this character where he's kind of, kind of like almost like a brute looking like type, but he's very like soft hearted and very mild mannered. Like he, he's kind of like a laid back guy, I would say in general. But uh, yeah, yeah. Performances are really good. Directing by Joachim Trier is incredible. The script by Trier and co-writer Esko Vogt, which I mentioned as well, is just amazing. Nicely shot. And it there's also some needle drops that don't feel 
what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's not like a usual thing that they're uh, it you you would like. They're not like songs you would hear normally throughout. They they're pretty good at needle drops as well. There's like uh, like an Art Garfunkel song. I would say I I didn't get uh, I didn't pay attention on who was singing in general, but yeah, it. It's a really it's a really, really good movie. If I were to like make my own like my own version of the Academy Awards, like if I ran the Academy Awards, this would be like on the best picture top 10 list. But again, some of the content and stuff like I I also mentioned I, I failed to mention this, but this is also one of those movies where after I watched it, it just kind of like stuck in my brain for uh at least like a week, I would say. And the thing about watching movies is that if you're still remembering it over time, you know you're watching a great movie. And this movie is almost great, in my opinion. Again, just a little quibbles throughout, but it well, well it's kind of like close to a masterpiece, I would say. But yeah, so yeah, those are my thoughts on The Worst Person in the World. It is currently playing in New York and Los Angeles, but it will expand in the coming weeks. So be on the lookout for that. If if it's not playing at a theater near you, then you can wait uh, when it comes to like BOD or it's, it's even getting a home video release by the Criterion Collection. But yeah, again, those are my thoughts. And now it's time for my thoughts on The Fallout, which is a new film on HBO Max. The Fallout is the feature film directorial debut of Megan Park, who's best known as an actress mainly for her role on the TV series The Secret Life of an American Teenager. She is behind the camera for this motion picture. The film stars Jenna Ortega as a high schooler named Veda, who navigates an emotional aftermath she experiences in the wake of a school shooting, and her relationships with family, friends, and the view of the world have altered her reality forever. The film also stars Maddie Ziegler, who's the main girl in Sia's music videos, as well as Niles Fitch, Will Ropp, Lumi Pollock, John Ortiz, Julie Bowen, and Shailene Woodley. Just one quick factoid about this. This movie won the Grand Jury Prize in its narrative section at South by Southwest Film Festival last year. And uh, this movie, it the subject matter of school shooting is very difficult it's it's kind of like hard i would say like it's 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 a very heavy subject matter there's films like gus van zant's elephant which won the palm door at Cannes in in 2003 which is a fictionalized version of the columbine high school shooting uh the opening of the movie vox lux which came out a few years ago takes place during a school shooting like the first like five minutes i would say is about a school shooting and uh there's like a little bit of aftermath in like the first act alone. And even last year's mass, which I watched at Sundance last year, which is about two sets of parents. One of one of the parents is uh, the parents of the perpetrator. And the other set of parents is uh, one of the victims. They, they meet face to face in a church years after the shooting. Think of that movie as like 12 angry men, but with said subject matter about how, you're trying your best to uh, explain to these people, like, do you forgive them? Like, uh, are like uh, the way that uh, they, it like deals with grief and all that stuff. It it's very, it, it's very powerful. But the ensemble cast in Mass is terrific. The performances from Reed Bernie and Dowd, Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton are all great. 
But the fallout is basically from the perspective of a witness. And I got to say, though, it works. It's not one where they try to sugarcoat it, just be like full of depression and whatnot, or just try to be super sentimental or mawkish is a very fancy word for saying that. It's more of an honest and authentic portrayal. Jenna Ortega in this movie, she is a star. She's a former child actress. She appeared in a couple Disney Channel shows. She played the young Jane on the CW show Jane the Virgin. She also recently appeared in the latest installment of the Scream franchise, for which I didn't see. But look out for her. She is incredible in this movie. The way her character Veda is depicted is kind of this free spirit, if you would like to call it that. She spends time with her boyfriend, and I'm not, and I mean that not in a romantic relationship with a friend named Nick, played by Will Rob, who's kind of like a valedictorian type, I would say, kind of like a smart person. They have this like friendly banter amongst each other. She also has a loose bond with her younger sister Amelia, played by newcomer Lumi Pollock, who's worried about getting her period. We then see, and this is all in the opening, by the way, we then see Veda in a bathroom with Maddie Ziegler's character, Mia, who basically, uh, this, she's basically described as like one of the popular kids. She has a big Instagram following. She does dance videos and makeup tutorials. But soon after Veda makes somewhat of a snarky comment to Mia, all of a sudden they hear gunshots and they both hide in one of the bathroom stalls. We then find out there's another student, a black male named Quentin. This is Niles, Niles Finch's character. We that we see there's blood on his clothes, but I don't want to say why or like what happened or something like that. We then cut to some time later while Veda is clearly in in an emotional state. She quickly, but she does quickly develop a friendship with Mia, and and that's how like the rest of the film plays out. The titular fallout that these characters go through. They go to the funerals of those who are passed on from the end from the incident there's a whole montage where veda drops one funeral service program card after another and it shows how diverse the students were in terms of race or religion there's one point where veda has to go to this therapist played by shailene woodley and she couldn't figure out like um like she couldn't like answer the questions and like uh i i mean i mean how how should i describe this but uh it, it it's kind of hard for her at some point we do get to see uh, it, this isn't like fully depressing or something like that. We then we then see her uh, bond this relationship with Mia, Maddie Ziegler's character. Like they become more than friends. Uh, they like drink wine and they like go to the pool. And this is and this is all in uh, Maddie Ziegler's character's uh, uh, house. It's kind of it's kind of semi modern in a way, I would say, but not too modern. I I would suggest, but. Yeah, and uh, G, and uh, you get like her backstory and like uh, the people that raise her and whatnot. But they're but they're not there. The people that raise her are not there. They're just like gone all the time. Um, I will say this though for the craftsmanship, it is solidly put together, both directing and writing wise, by Megan Park. It has this uh, very independent level of camera work where it's mostly handheld at times, but there's also but it's in focus for the most part, as a very hypnotic score by Phineas O'Connell, who is the brother of Billie Eilish. Uh, he he helps produces Billie Eilish's songs and basically kind of like a partner, I would say. But yeah, contributing to uh, this score, it, it's very interesting overall. And I didn't know it was him at first. 
There are text bubbles that appear in the movie, but some just like go really fast. Like you got to pay attention very, very close. Um, you know what? I should start getting into my cons because that's kind of a little bit of a con right there. It's there's not too much flaws, I would say, but I wish we would have seen what uh, what her what this world would have looked like the day before it all happened. I mean, we don't get to see Veda's parents until shortly after the incident. And I wish we got a bit more of character development out of the supporting characters in general. I mean, both um, Maddie Ziegler and uh, Niles Fitch are fully fleshed out in a way, but not the others entirely. I mean, we don't get a lot of John Ortiz in this movie, who plays Veda's father in this movie, but he has somewhat of a thankless role, as does Julie Bowen. There's like one sequence uh, where just like John Ortiz kind of like it kind of like is like one scene that just like gives like kind of like a, a little bit of a redeeming arc for Veda, I would say. And uh, there's another sequence in this movie that just feels completely random and somewhat out of a place while you just like hear music in the background. And uh, and I thought to myself, like, why? Why? Why this uh, sequence in general? All that aside, I still think it's a really good movie overall. I wish this movie had a theatrical release. This is one where I would have seen it with an audience and have this like collective experience. But since it suffers from a straight-to-streaming release, it unfortunately um, doesn't give it like a, a very, very high rating, I would say. But yeah, those are my thoughts on The Fallout. It is now streaming on HBO Max. And now let's get to our review roundup. Now, for those of you who are new to the show or basically need a little bit of refresher, this is how the review roundup works. I basically review the new release of the week and grade them on a number scale from 0 to 10. If I give a movie somewhere between an 8 to a 10, that is a worthy recommendation to a very high recommendation and could be considered one of the best movies ever made. If I give a movie somewhere between a 7 to a 7.9, still a solid recommendation, just not as high as I would say for the other grading that I just give. Somewhere between a 6 to a 6.9, it could range from just okay to just fine in general somewhere between a 5 to a 5.9 it could be mediocre or average or just split down the road if i give a movie under like a 4.9 or below i just would not bother watching it whatsoever or just like avoid it at all costs thankfully that is not the case this week the fallout i would give it an 8.1 out of 10 just barely a worthy recommendation i would say even with all some of the criticism that i have with it it's still a fantastic movie it it shows from the perspective that we don't normally get in film but again it's not a total downer i would say and jenna ortega is a movie star like keep your eye out for her and then for the worst person in the world incredible direction and screenplay from Joachim Trier. Uh, the performances from Renata Reinsva, Andrews Daniels, and Lee, fantastic. I just love the relatability of it and how it just like relates to me, like in general, because I'm kind of like going through this phase that the character of Yuli is going through at the moment, trying to figure out what to do in life. But I wouldn't like consider this movie like i want to recommend this movie to everyone because there is some content that some of my listeners would feel a little skittish about but if you can uh like if you can handle through all that stuff then i suggest you check this movie out i would give it a 8.8 out of 10 for the worst person in the world again it's only playing in new york and la this week but it will soon expand in the coming weeks so yeah but before we go i'm going to tell you all about my coverage for this year's sundance film festival 
Now, my experience with the Sundance Film Festival has been interesting, to say the least. I went twice as a high schooler since I was part of my school's AV class. The drama class people also got to go as well. But while those kids got to watch movies like Austin Land, the AV kids got to watch documentaries like Last Days in Vietnam, which is a good movie, by the way. I will say that it was nominated for the Oscar for documentary feature uh, the year after I first watched it at Sundance. But I never thought about going to the festival in person for one year like for myself at least i'm a very shy person in general i don't converse well and uh but even though i'm like i don't know probably like 50 miles away from where i am that's where that's where sundance film festival is in general uh i i, I just don't know about sundance in general it's one of the biggest independent film festivals of all time it was uh co-founded by robert redford or at least the sundance institute was founded by robert redford it's been going on for uh over 40 years and um yeah i thought about going one year but uh i i mean i just i don't know about it in general but then when the pandemic happened it went completely virtual last year and i thought to myself oh maybe this could be a good opportunity to let you watch films that don't get released until probably later in the year and so i did and um for this year they were going to do a hybrid in-person and virtual event but due to the omicron variant they had to cancel the in-person screenings and since they were going virtual again i didn't i didn't think i would have the opportunity to go again but i found a window of opportunity to watch these movies before they're even picked up by movie distributors and all these movie distributors they can uh acquire movies that'll get like some attention later on like the movie coda which won a lot of sundance prizes last year like a couple days after it premiered all of a sudden um the rights for the movie get picked up by apple for a record settling 25 million dollars and although it's like pretty interesting to see like what studio is going to pull up top like who's going to get the big money maker it's been very quiet for all of a sudden but anyway, I just mentioned Coda that I got to watch last year. I also watched Mass, Passing, Judas and the Black Messiah. I watched at least nine films in the three days uh, that I had for the festival last year because I, if you if you guys don't know me, I work for my parents' small cleaning janitorial business. But yeah, but since I had enough uh, time this year, I got to watch 27 films throughout the whole festival run for for like a week and a half which is about three times more than last year's festival for, for in terms of movie watching in general i'm gonna try my best not to describe the plots of these movies for you guys because i want to tell you all about them when they come out either in theaters or streaming or maybe even on television but now I will say this the day before the festival started, anyone who had a registered account at Sundance was offered a free film just to check the internet connection of your computer or your television before watching a laundry list of new films. They offered us a digitally restored version of a film that played at the festival before in 1995, an LGBT film called the incredibly true adventure of two girls in love, which is kind of, which is kind of like the story about how there, there's this like, rough tomboy girl who's like living in like a kind of like a like it kind of like i wouldn't call it like poverty but it's kind of like a low lower class i would say but then she falls in love uh with a black girl who's kind of kind of like in like upper class i would say so it's not only about lesbians but it's also about an interracial couple and it's about 
society class and all the differences and stuff. I thought the movie was just okay. It was a part of this movement in the 90s where filmmakers like Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Alison Anders, and even Kevin Smith would make movies for very cheap and would become huge favorites at the festival. It's also probably part of the new queer cinema movement around around that same period of time, I would say. Maybe a little bit afterwards, but I'm not well-versed in those areas overall of 90s cinemas in general. But the films I do want to mention, I want to put these on your on your guys's radar. I'm going to start off with a movie called A Love Song, which stars Dale Dickey and Wes Duty. Dale Dickey was also in uh, the LGBT movie I just watched. But but A Love Song, think of it as like Nomadland 2.0, but like set during the pandemic, I would say. And uh, Dale Dickey plays uh, this woman who's just waiting for her childhood friend to come and visit. Uh, the childhood friend is played by Wes Tootie. The next movie I want to tell you guys about is called 892, which stars John Boyega as, uh, for, and this is based on real events. It's about a former veteran named Brian Brown Easley who holds a bank hostage, and uh, because uh, his disability check at the Veterans Affairs or or the VA for that matter couldn't clear it, and he just basically just he doesn't rob a bank; he just holds a bank hostage. And uh, it also features the final performance of Michael K. Williams. But uh, Bleecker Street picked it up. I hope it'll. I hope people will get to experience it because it's it's tense. I will say, the next movie I want to talk about is called Living, which is an English language remake of the Akira Kurosawa film called Ikiru, which means to live. But basically, it stars Bill Nye. He play. He is playing a man who is. Uh, kind of dying i would say he just like wants to like live out his days just like wants to get things over with and all that stuff i'll tell you more about it sony classics picked it up there's going to be a lot of awards hype for bill nye come next award season there's a there's a a new documentary on netflix called downfall the case against boeing where it's about uh these two boeing 737 max planes um basically like everyone on one of those planes there was there was like an accident that happened uh in indonesia and then another one happened around around in africa and and there's this like failing system that uh just like killed everyone on board those two planes and they're within like months apart and they had to recall all those planes and they could and they're and where this documentary and you're like trying to figure out why and all that stuff it's just baffling and it's coming out on Netflix later this month, so I will tell you more all about it. And speaking about documentaries, one of the bigger uh, titles at the festival is a documentary called Fire of Love, which is about the volcanologist couple uh, Katya and Maurice Kraft and how they want to... Um, And speaking about documentaries, the next documentary is one of the bigger titles to come out of Sundance is a documentary called Fire of Love, which is about volcanologists Maurice and Katya Kraft, who just study volcanoes. And it's all this archival footage. And it has this amazing narration by Miranda July. And it got a seven-figure deal from National Geographic, so it'll come on Disney+. Plus. And another documentary I would also recommend uh, is... Uh, it's, it's called Second Chance, and it's about the inventor of the bulletproof vest, and he actually uh, became kind of like a dummy. And uh, 
Well, I mean, dummy as like, uh, like tested the bulletproof vest on himself. He was like a former, uh, pizza owner, but then decided he wanted to, uh, and get the chance to, uh, help like save lives of like police officers and stuff because of his invention of the bulletproof vest and whatnot. It's uh, directed by Ramin Barani, uh, who directed the feature films, the white tiger and 99 homes. This is his documentary debut and it's incredible. There's a new sci-fi movie called dual starring Karen Gillan and Aaron Paul. Think of it as kind of like, uh, you know, the movie swan song with Mahershala Ali that came out recently. Think of that movie, but it had, but with this like Yorgos Lanthimos vibe, kind of like the lobster, I would say. But I, I kind of had like a, I kind of like bought into the style and whatnot. There's like a little bit of offbeat humor in there. Some some people would find the ending just like what? That's it? Again, I don't want to like describe the plots of these movies or give my thoughts on it. The most anticipated movie I was waiting to see at the festival this year is the. Uh, follow-up to uh koganada's directorial debut columbus it is a sci-fi film called after yang it is being produced by a24 it's about a family uh who find out that uh their uh robot companion uh is has shut down for some odd reason and they're trying their best like can we repair him or something like that and it's all about like the humanity and like the human spirit and they go through like his memory bank just to see like 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 we as the audience are like seeing like like what is like unfolding and whatnot and it's beautifully well done it this this movie will come out in march so i will tell you all about it another documentary the next one was picked up by netflix it is called descendant and it's about the relatives of this like small town in uh i want to say mississippi i would say but uh they're like descendants of this uh the very last african slave ship that came to america long long after uh slavery had been abolished and they're trying to like figure out if the ship is still there if, like did they like um like uncover the remnants or anything like that but it's incredible the next movie is a very odd movie i would say it's called resurrection it stars rebecca hall and tim roth rebecca hall in this movie gives a one like uncut 10 minute monologue and it is incredible and it shows why she's one of the best actresses working today but the movie overall it's kind of like a mix of psychological thriller meets a little bit of body horror like it's kind of weird and then probably the biggest title to come out of sundance is the film cha-cha real smooth which is a sophomore effort from cooper rafe for which I will not say the name of his first feature film because this is a family-friendly program. This is a clean podcast. But Cha-Cha Real Smooth, think of it as like the worst person in the world, but it's it's about Cooper Rafe, who uh, is the actor. He's the writer and director of the film. But Cooper Rafe, he is a person who is fresh out of college and he's trying to figure out what to do in life. And uh, he becomes like a DJ at like bar mitzvahs and whatnot. He then meets Dakota Johnson's character, who uh, is a mother to this uh, autistic girl, teenage girl. And I'll tell you more all about it. Apple picked it up for $15 million, the most for the festival there's also a documentary called Navalny, which will be on HBO Max pretty soon. And it's a very thrilling documentary, I will say. Like, like, like uh, it's about um, this Russian lawyer turned 
politician i would say and uh we just like follow like the course of him through like i would say a year and uh it it's like interesting to like what unfolds and like it shows like what scrutiny the russian government could say i don't want to get too much involved but uh and then the last movie i want to recommend to you guys is uh the one that won the world dramatic uh world cinema dramatic competition award and that is a bolivian film called utama where it's about bolivian farmers who are like living in the alta plain and it's like all dried up and they're trying to get some water and uh it it it's really interesting it's beautifully shot like from like the first image i was like immediately hooked and just like where it goes is very interesting but if you guys want if you all would like to read my brief thoughts on these movies you can you can head over to my letterbox account at real mike web there are at least a few films that i was disappointed but i'll save those for when they're released like i was not a fan of the jesse eisenberg directorial debut i was not a fan of the new james ponsult movie uh but but yeah again i will save those for when they're released and there are also some movies that i missed at the festival including fresh good luck to you leo grand um speak no evil hatching a lot of horror films i would say there's also some documentaries i miss like the princess and brian and charles i miss those there's also another big one that i miss called emily the criminal with aubrey plaza and there's also an another movie i miss called the territory However, after watching all these films at Sundance, I thought to myself, I probably shouldn't watch anything for the next month because I was so tuckered out. But some of them I just mentioned are just coming like very soon. Like uh, the Boeing documentary is probably coming later this month and after Yang is coming next month. So in the meantime, make sure you look these movies up. Maybe sometime later it'll come out. Who knows? But anyway, guys, that is my coverage for the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. Now let's end this episode and call it a day. Well, my friends, that concludes this episode of Film Etc. It's been a while since I've done an episode like this, but make sure you subscribe and follow the show on the many places that we stream, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. Please leave a good rating. Leave a five-star review on our Apple Podcast page. That'll help get this show up to the top of the charts. Tell your friends about it. Spread the word of mouth if you can. I'll be back very soon with a very special episode where I'm going to cover the nominations for this year's Academy Awards which will be announced on Tuesday. And I'm going to try my best to uh, upload it as fast as I can. But in the meantime, you can follow me on social media. I'm at RealMikeWeb on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You can also follow the show on Instagram at FilmETCCast. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I will see you all at the cinema.